Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at or by clicking the Share Your Story tab on the Church Center app. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that by clicking the giving link located in the description below this video, online at fellowshipgj.com, or if you're a member here at Fellowship Church, you can give through our Church Center app. This will help us continue to bring our message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy today's service. So excited to worship with you this morning. We're gonna dive right in, and I know that we all have a testimony, amen? Amen. So let's put our hands together and let's sing about it this morning. Come on. I saw Satan fall like lightning. I saw darkness run for cover. But the miracle that I just can't get over. believe in signs and wonders. I have resurrection power. Still the miracle that I just can't get over is my name is registered in heaven. Yes, my praise belongs 
welcome to have your way in us. You are welcome to do what only you can do. And God, we're expectant. And right now, Jesus, we pray that you would just take away any sort of distraction that may keep us from just engaging with you in worship. We're here for one reason and one reason alone to bring glory to the powerful name of Jesus Christ. So we give you the floor and we're here for whatever it is that you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh! 
breakthrough in our past, for those of us that need breakthrough now, for those of us that need breakthrough in the future, we thank you for that, God. We praise your name that you are the same. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Father, I pray that you can prepare our hearts and our minds, not only for what you want us to hear and see, God, but for your presence. Prepare us for your presence, God. So Holy Spirit, we invite you in. Fill us up from the top of our head to the tips of our toes. We want to be influenced, our, our minds be influenced by you, our thoughts be influenced by you, Jesus. Open our eyes to see what you want us to see, our ears to hear what you want us to hear, God, because what you say, what you want to show us, that matters most. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, give another shout of praise. He's good. Woo. He is in the room. For those of you that are in the room with us, go ahead and find someone on your way back. Tell them they look good. Tell them happy Sunday. For you that are listening at home or tuning in with us later this week, you look good too. Happy Sunday to you as well. We'd love to hear where you guys are tuning in from, so please engage with us on service. There's so many different people out there that Fellowship Church has reached and God has spoken to, so we'd love to hear from you during the message or even afterward. For those of you that might be new to fellowship or whether it's your first Sunday or maybe you've been with us for quite a while, but you're ready to start taking your next step and you just want to connect with a few of us, go ahead and get your smartphones out, whether you're at home or here in the room. It's okay. You're allowed. Get them out right now and text the word fellowship to the number 94,000. As soon as you do that, you're able to get in contact with us as a staff. We'll be able to hear a little bit of your story and get you an invitation to our guest reception, which is coming up soon as well. 
We just want to be able to meet you. Now, for those of you that maybe have been coming for a long time and you're wondering what your next step in your faith walk could be and how that looks here, whether it's serving somewhere or jumping into a group or even expressing your faith outwardly, drop by the east end of the lobby at our connection desk. We'd love to be able to see how that could fit within your life as well. Well, we're going to continue the worship of our awesome God through the giving of tithes and offerings. There's a lot of different ways that you can give here uh, at the church. We have the offering boxes in the lobby. Of course, we have the Church Center app. As I was thinking about just what to share with this morning, the Lord brought to mind a, a small, <laughs> a small embarrassing story uh, of mine. But have you ever been on YouTube where as soon as you watch a video, you, you learn um, how to be an expert in something within minutes? I don't even watch the whole video all the time. But there was one time where I, I was rewiring a dryer that I had and has 220 as the cord, which is like the thickness of cord that you think you need a degree to be able to handle that I was going to do it on my own. And so I, I rewired it and I went to Home Depot and there's two different kind of plugs that it fits. And I was like, all right, well, I did my research. I was like, I got the right plug and I brought it back. I decided, why don't I test it out to see if it fits? It was still in its packaging. The prongs were sticking out. And I just plugged it in, which if you don't know anything about electricity, like the, it wasn't plugged into anything and all the wires were touching each other. So as soon as I plugged it in, it went pow, like that. And sparks flew into the kitchen. My wife was like, are you okay? And I was like, I think so. Nothing happened to me because the Lord is, is who he says he is. And uh, it was just one of those moments that I was like, oh, I just wanted to test it out. But there's something in our walk with, with the Lord that God says, test it. Even, even if you think sparks might fly. Even if you think, I might not survive, you can test him in finance. That's one of the things. If you give the 10%, he will pour out blessings on you. So I just want to I just want to pray over all the tithes and offerings that are coming in. And if anybody's in financial stress or financial need, I want to pray over that as well. Jesus, thank you, God, for who you are. Lord, you don't need lofty words or anything. We just need you. And so, Jesus, I pray you bless the offerings that are coming in. And Lord, as we, as we risk it and we want to just test you in this, God, I pray you open up the floodgates and the heavens on those of us that are, that are willing to do that. Lord, we love you. We thank you in your name. Amen. There's a lot of different things going on here at Fellowship Church. Here are a few of them. If you would consider yourself to be a guest or a visitor, we would love to invite you to our guest reception happening on March 5th. Now this takes place in between services and it does include a free continental breakfast, which is pretty tasty. At this guest reception, you will get to meet our pastors, some of our volunteers, you'll get a tour of our facilities, you'll get to come see Kids Church, which is the best place in the whole church, just saying. You will also get to learn more about what we believe as a church, serving opportunities, and just all the events that are happening at Fellowship Church. If this is something you're interested in, you can sign up on the Church Center app or go to the information counter for more questions. Can't get enough worship in your life? Then we wanna invite you to Valleywide Worship happening on March 12th at Fellowship Church at 6 p.m. There's no need to sign up for this event, and we just wanna let you know childcare is not included, but what a great night to bring your kids, to bring your spouse, to bring your family, and stand in the gap with other churches all across the valley and saying, I am gonna to choose to worship our one true God. This is an incredible faith-building night where there will be worship, there'll be prayer, there will be intercession, and we will actually get to stand in the gap and say we are choosing worship, we are choosing to change our city. We are choosing to stand in agreement together to change our valley. If this is something you're interested in, just show up. Again, that's happening March 12th here at Fellowship Church at 6 p.m. If you are ready to take that next step in your relationship and start to express your faith outwardly, we would encourage you to sign up to be a Rooted host. Now this is a 10 week commitment and it is from 8.30 to 10.30. And being a Rooted host, we will pair you with people who are in your similar age and stage as life as you. No need to worry because there is a well-organized curriculum that you get to follow as well as having a course community leader to help guide you along the whole process. If Rooted is something that maybe you're not ready for that step and Sundays don't really work out that well, then we would encourage you to still host a life group or to get involved some way in a life group. These are huge aspects of our church and we want to make a big church feel smaller. 
If you have any questions, you can talk to Pastor Will or you can go onto the Church Center app and look at the Serving Opportunities tab for more information. We have been so excited about this Unsung Heroes of the Bible series, and we hope it has been blessing you and impacting your life. And I hope you're ready for this morning to hear such a special word from some of our teaching team pastors. So let's get ready for today's word. my birthday and I was at lunch with my husband and in the middle of that lunch comes a phone call from Pastor Hooper and I answered it because he's my boss and I said hey pastor did you call to wish me a happy birthday now I knew that he hadn't um, he's a guy and he's not good at dates but just saying so gave him the opportunity to wish me a happy birthday and to say a bunch of nice stuff to me which he did and then he said how old are you? And I said, you don't ask a woman how old she is, especially on her birthday. And he said, I know that. But seriously, how old are you? And I said, where is Anna? Is she not like in the truck with you? And he's like, she is in the store. So then he took a wild guess at my age. Yeah. And I said no, and then he said, well, I guessed extremely low, so you can't be offended. But I was offended because he wasn't horribly off. And so he asked again, how old are you? And because he's my boss, I told him. And when I told him, he gasped and said, you're 45? And I said, I'm done with this conversation. Until you have Anna back in the truck with me, we're done. And she will hold you accountable to talking to me nicely. And then I hung up. <laughs> and the truth is, every single person in this room needs someone to call them out. To speak the truth to them in love and to say, hey, wait a sec, that was kind of over the line there. And for the pastor, that person is Anna. But each one of us needs someone in our life to say, hey, that was too much. You shouldn't have done that. You went too far. You shouldn't wear that. You shouldn't talk like that. We all need that person that we have enough trust with that they'll actually call us out on our stuff. And this is why we're talking about this today. We're continuing in our series, Unsung. And today is Unsung, Stand Up for the Truth. And we're going to be taking a look at an unsung hero named Nathan from the Bible. And most of it's coming out of 2 Samuel. But um, to really set the text up, we've got to rewind before Nathan enters the story. And we have to take a look at the actions of one of the most famous characters in the entire Bible, at least in the Old Testament, that is King David. And what's happening for King David in this moment is he is kind of at that midlife point, kind of at a midlife crisis probably, and his army is going off to war. And David decides you know what, I don't feel like going off to war this time. He'd been going off to war since he was a boy, and he decided for whatever reason not to join his soldiers. And I don't know, maybe he thought, you know what, sleeping in the tent is overrated. I don't want to sleep on the battlefield, wake up with my back all stiff and my knees not doing well. I don't know what his reasoning was, but somehow he decided to stay in the comfort of the palace. And this led to boredom. So his army's at war, all his buddies are off serving in the war and David's kind of kicking it by himself in the palace. He's bored. And so he's walking along the roof line of his palace. I don't know why. And he looks out and he sees a beautiful woman. And he is attracted to her stunning personality and her many internal virtues. Right. <laughs> We all know that's not true, right? He thinks she's beautiful, he's hot, and he wants her. And so he summons her to the palace. And because she's, he's the king, he goes. And so she ends up at the palace with David alone. And we don't know exactly how the next few verses unfold. Was it by choice? Was it by coercion? Was it by force? Somehow it came to pass that this woman, Bathsheba, slept with King David. And Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, 
he was actually a soldier in David's army, and he was on the battlefront when this took place. And so after the act was done and the deed was over, he sent her, King David sent Bathsheba back to her house. And within a few months, she sent a message back to King David saying... I'm pregnant. Um, she had done the pregnancy math, fertile window here, da, da 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 Husband is at war during said time. Therefore, surprise, David, the baby is yours. Well, this was very unwelcome news uh, for King David. He was not expecting this consequence. And so he decides to try to plot to sort of figure out how he's going to get out of this situation. So he comes up with a master plan. And what he does is he summons, he sends a summon to the general Joab. And he says, send me a man to uh, make a firsthand report of what's happening on the battlefield. Send me, hmm, let me see, a Uriah perhaps. So he summons Bathsheba's husband as if he's going to get a report of the war. Uriah comes before the king and gives his firsthand account of what's happening on the battlefield. And then at the end of that, David's like, hey, while you're here, you know, in the city of your wife, you know, why don't you take the night off, you know, drink a little wine, play some Barry Manilow, and just sort of see where the night takes you. And that's where we pick up the text in 2 Samuel chapter 11. The Bible says this, but Uriah didn't go there, meaning home. He stayed the night at the gateway of the palace with the other servants of the king. When David heard what Uriah had done, he summoned him and he asked him, what's the matter with you? Why didn't you go home to your wife last night after being away for so long? Uriah replied, the ark and the armies and the general and his officers are camping in open fields. Should I go home and wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear to you, I would never be guilty of acting like that. Well, stay here tonight, King David told him, and tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed around the palace. David invited him to dinner and got him drunk. Even so, he didn't go home that night. He again slept in the entry to the palace. Finally, the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and said to give it and gave it to Uriah to deliver. This letter instructed Joab to put Uriah at the front at the hottest part of the battle, and then pull back and leave him there to die. So Uriah showed the loyalty and the honor that David lacked in this moment. He brought his letter to Joab, which really included his own death sentence, and handed it over to the general. And David got his wish. Uriah dies in battle. David then summons his widow to the palace and claims her, and Bathsheba gives birth to their love child. And all of this time frame takes place is nine months, obviously. And at that time, in all of those nine months, David does not repent. He doesn't recognize his own behavior and say, I blew it, I messed up, I committed adultery, God forgive me, Bathsheba forgive me. He doesn't do anything. Instead, he just hides his own bad decision Deeper and deeper. But God sees it all. And God is not impressed. And enter into our story at this point our unsung hero, the prophet Nathan. 2 Samuel 12, 1 says, So the Lord sent the prophet Nathan to tell David this story. And this one verse already brings us to our very first truth. How is it that David, how is it that Nathan knew that God was sending him? And how is it that Nathan knew it was time to stand up and, and to be bold before the king? And how is it that we would know when we're being called by God to act? So the way we do is just like Nathan. He listened to God's leading in his life, and that's our first truth. So we have to listen to the Spirit. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding but seek his will, God's will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. But too often we rely on our own understanding. We do that. Our understanding looks like our degree. Our understanding looks like a conversation we, with, we had with somebody else, a friend or a family member asking for advice. Our own understanding looks like I've done the research or like Pastor Will, I looked up it on YouTube. All right, we, <laughs> so I've done the research so I can make an educated decision. I understand so I can make my decision. So therefore 
I don't need God's opinion. But we all know that it is a much smarter, safer way to approach our life and our decisions by seeking God who is, despite all our degrees and all of what we think are qualifications, God knows more. And we can go through life knowing that he's smarter and he knows more than us. We have to seek God's will in our life in deciding if and when we should have a crucial conversation with a person like Nathan, but also in every step and every season of life. So how do we do that? Well, first, we have to be able to hear God. Isaiah 40:10 says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. So does God have our ear? And if God doesn't have our ear, then the question is who does? Who does have your ear? Is it friends? Is it a family member or a spouse? Is it Fox News? Is it Facebook? Who is speaking that you are listening to? Is it your kids? You have no choice but to listen to your kids. They talk all the time and you don't even <laughs> wanna give them your ear and they just take it from you, okay? But hearing is one thing, listening is another thing. We have to listen. And in order to be able to listen to the Father, we have to give him opportunity to speak. When in our days that we give him an opportunity to speak? We're so busy. We have all the kids and shuffle them around or the jobs and, and even the little in-between just noise of life, phones, TV, social media. There's so much noise. We need to give God time to speak. When? First thing, first thing every morning, we need to give God a chance to speak before anyone else has a chance to speak into that situation, speak an opinion or, or speak into you, you need to make sure that you give God the opportunity to speak. First and last, before you make a decision, it, it looks like when you're lying in bed and, and you're thinking about your day and you're mulling it over and going, oh, I should have said that, or what am I gonna do about that? And you're mulling it all over and you're trying to come up with a solution based on your own understanding. But if we give God the last word and we finally say, God, I don't know, what do you think? And then also we need to give God a chance to speak anytime we make a huge life-changing decision in our life. When I was 20 years old, I had interned here for what felt like a thousand years, but was actually probably only two. Uh, but I just, I just kept interning and I was you know, obviously hoping for a job here, but that just didn't seem like it was in the cards. So I started trying to make my, figure out what else I was supposed to do. I started applying to this school and just kind of random shots in the dark, hoping that something would land. And at some point, I just got tired of guessing. I got tired of trying things. I got tired of just hoping that things would work out. And I made a decision. And that decision was to drop everything that was going on in my life. I put a bed in the back of my truck and I put a camper shell over the top and I left. I left for 21 days and I prayed and I fasted for 21 days seeking God. Because why would I make such a huge life-changing decision like what am I gonna do for the rest of my life without making sure that I felt God's leading in my life? We need to listen and we need to be close enough proximity to be able to hear. Are we living close enough to our father to be able to hear him? We have to stay close and we stay close through prayer. That's just talking to God. You're not close to anybody you don't talk to. You have to read his word and, and we have to stay close with worship. Pastor Tim spoke on Esther a couple weeks ago and the story was when Esther walks into the room, the king lifted up his scepter, which invited her into the room. That's what worship is for us. It's God inviting us in to be closer and you never know what God needs to say to you. So you need to be close enough to hear and ready to listen. And that's what Nathan did. And he knew it was time to go to the king, but he didn't just show up and make something up on the fly. He didn't just wing it. He knew what God was leading him to share. So let's see what Nathan does. Second Samuel chapter 12 says, so the Lord sent the prophet Nathan to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain city, one very rich owning many flocks of sheep and herds of goats and the other very poor owning nothing but one little lamb that he had managed to buy. It was his children's pet and he had fed it from his own plate and let it drink from his own cup. Gross. And he cuddled it in his <laughs> arms like a baby daughter. This gives me like, like dad vibes where the dad uh, says, the kids talk him into getting a pet and he's like, fine, but I don't want it. And I'm not the one taking care of it. And then like a year later, the dad is best friends with the pet and they have matching sweaters. That's kind of how this feels for me. Now, recently a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing a lamb from his own flocks for food for the traveler, he took the poor man's lamb and roasted it and served it. Oh my gosh. 
David was furious, as we all are in this moment. I swear by the living God, he vowed, any man who would do a thing like that should be put to death. He shall repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and having no pity. You can tell David's all over the place here. He's like, kill him. And then he's like, I, just give him four lambs. I don't know. And he's frustrated by it. But then this is what Nathan says to David. You are that rich man. You despise the laws of God and have done this horrible deed for you have murdered Uriah and stolen his wife. So I picture Nathan walking to the palace through like the poor section of town where he lives and he's heading to the palace and he's rehearsing this story. He's going, okay, there's one rich man. He's got lots of sheep, lots of goats. And there's one poor guy and he's got a sheep and he's super attached to it. And it's kind of, that's not important story, but nonetheless. And he's rehearsing his story because he knew that he couldn't just show up in front of David and ramble. He had a plan. And that's our second truth is we have to have a plan because the quickest way to failure is to not have a plan. The way Nathan talks to David in this story is masterful. The way he uses the lamb and the sheep and the rich man and the poor man, it's just pulling on those little heartstrings of David. He's remembering the days of long past when he grew up as a shepherd boy. And so he's using this story and he had a plan. And so the conversation was successful and we need a plan in our lives to be successful. We can make goals in our life, but this famous French author named Antoine de Saint-Dupré, which I know how to say because I know how to use Google and YouTube. Uh, <laughs> he says this, a goal without a plan is just a wish. A goal that doesn't have a plan ends up just being a wish. That's like saying a game without a winner is just a waste of time, okay? A cow without legs is just ground beef. Uh, <laughs> A woman without a man is just happy. I mean, it's just single. That's what I meant. Uh, a husband without a to-do list is just about to get one, probably, anytime. Chick-fil-A without the good customer service is just overpriced chicken. You take that back. That is a strong statement you just made. It is absolutely true. You take Chick-fil-A chicken and you put it in Wendy's. And Wendy's and, does better. No, Wendy's, all of a sudden you're just like, eh, it's just okay. But it's all the, they're so nice that it like blinds you to that it's just mediocre chicken. It's the, you know what it is though? It's the sauces. The sauces make the sandwich. If it weren't for the sauces, Chick-fil-A without the sauces is just overpriced chicken. Agreed. No, yeah. I, there do we not, go. I do not accept this premise. I'm sorry for speaking against the Lord's chicken you on the Lord's be. day, okay? <laughs> yes, thank you. Now, but a goal without a plan is just a wish. And we can wish all we want in our life. Oh, I wish, I wish my finances look like... Oh, I wish my career could, and, and I wish my marriage was, and we spend way too much time just wishing and not planning. I wish my kids would have a good re relationship with Jesus. Well, what's the plan? Because you can't just wish for that. You gotta have a plan. That plan looks like church on Sundays. It looks like Tuesday or Wednesday night, making sure they get to 4640. It looks like prayer with them, worship music in your house or on the drive to school. It looks like spiritual conversations and dinner. Oh, I wish my grown-up kids would come around more. Well, maybe that requires a conversation like Nathan. And then if that does, then you need to make a plan. Don't just go into that conversation without a plan. You got to write stuff down that you want to say. You, you need to be able to keep your emotions under control in that conversation. What common ground do you have that you can use to help that conversation go well what can you do to help them want to? You gotta get a plan because our, our lives, you, you have to have a plan in your lives and you won't get what you want out of life by accident. You have to make a plan. So, Dave, so Nathan executes his plan with David. He goes to him, he confronts him, and this honest conversation leads to repentance. Verse 13, it says, I have sinned against the Lord. David confesses to Nathan. And this idea of confession and repentance is so central to our faith. The truth is we are going to mess up. That's humanity. It's going to happen. The only thing that makes someone extraordinary isn't that they didn't mess up. It's that when they messed up, they confessed and repented. Confession is a fancy church word to say you owned your mistakes. That you said, yep, it was me. I'm the one who did that. I was wrong. It was on me. That's confession. And confession is to be made both to God 
and to the person you wronged. And so when we confess, we say, it was me, and we apologize to God, and we apologize to the person we affected, and we own it publicly or whatever is necessary. That's confession. And then repentance is when we say, I was headed this direction, I was on this path, and now I realize that that was a mistake, and I'm making a U-turn, and I'm heading back in the other direction. The direction I was going was wrong. I've already owned it. I've confessed it, and now I'm turning around, and I'm setting up systems in my life to go in the opposite direction. And confession and repentance are essential to being close to God because we're all going to mess up, and the best thing to do is own it. But many times, the process of confession and repentance only truly begins when someone has the courage to speak to us in our life and to speak that truth to us with love. And that leads us to our next truth, which is to speak 100% of the truth, even the last 2%. We tend to say 98% of the truth, 98% of the story, and that, that part is somewhat uncomfortable, but we can stomach it, we can get through it, but it's that last 2%, the nitty-gritty, that's the hardest part to say, but that last little bit is what actually provokes the most change and growth. So we need to speak the whole truth. The last 2% is the sting of the truth that brings about change. And I wonder, how often do we let someone in our life that we're angry with or frustrated with have 98% of that, that truth, but we hold back the last little bit, that last 2%. The truth is like milk. It's only good if it's whole. Otherwise, you're skimming the good stuff off the top. And if you're lactose intolerant, I'm sorry. I did not mean to offend you. But the prophet Nathan models this for us extremely well. We see in verse 7, Nathan calls David out on the carpet after telling him this story about the rich man and the poor man. Then Nathan said to David, you are that rich man. Nathan then goes on to deliver the truth to David, reminding him of who God called him to be, but without letting him off the hook for his actions. He still holds him accountable, and he still tells him the whole truth. And this is something we need to do as well, because if you're like me, you might struggle to say the, the hard truth. You might say some of the hard truth, but maybe hold back the part that's really going to change anything. And whether that's with our professors, our teachers, uh, parents, family members, a co-parent even, maybe an employer or a friend, we need to speak the whole truth to them. We can't leave out the last 2% because we're afraid of the fallout. We have to say the last 2% because that's where the actual change happens. But it can be intimidating. The truth is, though, we need to speak the entire truth because that's what Jesus did. John 8, 32 says, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And when we speak the whole truth, including the last 2%, it will set us and the other person free, free from offense, free from anger, free from betrayal, free from gossip. So we need to ask ourselves, are you locked up? Are you locked up in frustration with your friends? Then use the whole truth to set your friendship free by, by expressing how their behavior makes you feel. Use, if you're locked up in offense with a family member, use the whole truth to, to free yourself from awkward birthday parties and holiday get-togethers and stuff like that. Tell that person how you feel. Use Matthew 18 as a guide and look to reconcile with them. We have to use the whole truth to set ourselves free, saying the last 2% as well. You'll only be as free as the amount of truth you're willing to speak. Now, I have a friend who early on in his marriage decided he was going to tell the whole truth to his wife, which is great. 10 out of 10 would recommend you should do that. Um, but specifically, he was going to tell the whole truth to his wife around the subject of cooking. Now, ladies, I know, I know, I know, I know. We're about to wade into dangerous waters. And I just want to say before we go there, I'm with you. I hear you. See, I do most of the cooking in our house. Not because my wife isn't a good cook. Nobody's saying that. Guys, no, nobody's saying that. Nobody, nobody's saying that, Okay. <laughs> Man, I'm talking a lot. My wife just works really hard. She's a nurse and she gets off at dinner time. And so I have taken on the responsibility of cooking dinner. And when my kids say anything but something nice about what I've cooked, I get a little frustrated as well. So I see you. I echo your journey. We are one in the same. Now, my friend, his wife made him dinner and he just flat out did not like it. And rather than keeping it to himself and dealing with it like most men in America would, he decided to tell her the truth and say, I did not like that meal. I know, I grabbed my rolling pin and large kitchen knife in disbelief as well. <laughs> he said that, though, because he said marriage is for life, so I would rather tell the truth and it be uncomfortable than eat food I don't like for the rest of my life and leave space for resentment, which, honestly, I respect, you know? Sean. Yeah. I told you that in confidence. 
Joe, <laughs> nobody knew it was you until you just said it was you, though. She's gonna know. She already knew. <laughs> you had oh, the conversation with her. Okay, I, okay hear, hear me out, though. This is what happened. So when we were early on in our marriage, I heard this story from, our, from my sister-in-law where she made the same birthday dinner for her husband for 20 years. And every year it was the same birthday dinner. And guess what? He didn't like it. Okay, but he wouldn't tell her. And I thought, that's awful. Life is too short to eat bad food. I, and I, I love you, Julie. Yeah, I agree. And whatever the truth may be that we need to t tell somebody, we have to tell them in a specific way. We don't want to approach the person in anger, but in a place of peace. We want to use language like, when you did this or when you said this, it made me feel this way. We want to be clear and concise. We don't want to be mean and nasty, but confront with grace and understanding without letting them off the hook. Nathan spoke the whole truth to King David, which would set David free from sin. But Nathan didn't just walk in loaded for bear, completely gut David, and then walk away like an action star walks away from an explosion. No, he spoke the truth to David, but he spoke it with love. 2 Samuel 12, 13 says, Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, Yes, but the Lord has forgiven you, and you won't die for this sin. Nathan, he could have just rebuked David and left, but he didn't. He made sure that David knew he was forgiven by God. And that's because he knew that the truth needed to be spoken in love. And we learn this in Ephesians 4, 15. It says, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. It can be easy to take the truth and use it in a way that hurts someone. And we've all seen this heard or done. We've all seen somebody absolutely crush another person with something that's true. But then when they're confronted about being mean, what do they say? Well, the truth hurts. And that's true sometimes. The truth does hurt. My kids especially know how to tell me the truth in a way that hurts. One time my oldest asked me if I was pregnant like my wife. That was fun to hear. Um, my middle child asked me why I have so much hair on my back. And my youngest child just projectile spits up on me every time I pick her up, communicating some kind of grievance with me, I'm sure. The truth does hurt sometimes, but it doesn't always have to. Now, some of us on staff here at the church, I've been going through a great book on this subject, and it's called Candor by Charles Kozzi. And, and one of the best takeaways from that book is to ask yourself a question before you speak up and tell someone the truth. And that question is, is this necessary? Is this truthful? And is this loving? And it's a great tool to use when you have to have an uncomfortable conversation with someone. You ask yourself, whatever it is, is this necessary? Should I say this? Is it truthful? Am I remembering it right? Am I exaggerating? Am I in, a, in an emotional state where my perception is askew. And then we have to ask ourselves, am I in a place where I can confront this person and present this information in a loving way? The truth has the most potential to create change when we speak it in love. And that leads us to our fourth point, which is stay obedient. Nathan was obedient to God and, and did what he commanded him to do, which was confront Nathan. And if he hadn't done that, where would God have, or where would David have ended up? Where would Israel have ended up? Nathan knew that if he didn't confront David and obey God, it would take out David, sure, but it would interrupt God's entire plan for the nation of Israel, causing more distress and destruction than what was already going on. Nathan's obedience to God in this moment was more important than what it could possibly have cost him to confront David. And Nathan, he could have just avoided obeying God by pointing out how much he already did for God. And I think this is something that we fall into doing from time to time. We avoid being obedient to God by pointing out how much we're already sacrificing or how busy we are, whatever it is. And maybe it looks like God is asking you to take the next step and serve and, and host a life group. But instead of just saying yes, you say things like, oh, well, I'm already volunteering or I'm already serving here or I already give or I pray for my grandkids all the time. I get my kids to 4640 every week and these are all great, but they're not what God asks us to do. These are all great, but the sacrifice they require doesn't outweigh the obedience God asked for. 1 Samuel 15, 22 says it this way, but Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And we need to stay obedient to the voice of God because it keeps us close to him. And that starts with our personal relationship with him. God asks us to, to pray to him daily. Are we doing that? God asks us to read his word daily. Are we doing that? And if we're not obedient in the basics, how can we expect God to ask us to do anything of great importance? And I'm not saying this to harp on anyone, but this principle is made clear in scripture. If we'll be faithful with the little things, God will trust us to be faithful with more and more and more. 
Our obedience matters because it could change the course of our own life, but it could change the course of those around us. It can mean the difference between loneliness and community, between bondage and freedom, between brokenness and healing, and it could mean the difference between eternal life and death for someone. James 5, 19 and 20, My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the many forgiveness of sins. The Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. And after telling the story today of his actions, that feels hard to believe, right? Like when we look at these big sins that David committed, that seems like he's the furthest thing from God's heart. But in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, it says, God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So this verse lets us know that it's not necessarily our actions that grab God's attention. He knows we're human. He knows that we are going to mess up and we are going to sin. But what grabbed the heart of God was the fact that David, when he messed up, yes, with the help of the unsung hero today, but when he messed up, that he owned it. He confessed. He repented. He turned himself back to God saying, I was the man. I messed up. And there are going to be mistakes made by every person in this room. We are going to fail. We're going to mess up. We're going to do something that we're not proud of. That doesn't disqualify you from God's love. It doesn't disqualify you from being used by God. So many people say, I could never go to church because if I showed up at the doors of the church, the roof would collapse because of the mistakes that they've made. Well, look at David. Any murderers? Any, you know, like, wow. And he's a man after God's own heart. And I think it's important that we evaluate ourselves today and we say, is there something in my life that I have done or that I'm still doing that I'm not proud of? And if there is, that's human, right? But to become extraordinary, we have to take the next step, which is we have to own it. We have to confess. We have to repent. We have to say, God, it was me. I messed up and I'm sorry. And we might have to make an apology to another person as well. And then we have to turn. And David would have never done that if it wasn't for our unsung hero, Nathan, coming into his life and speaking the truth. And it's important that not only we make those confessions and have that time of repentance in our hearts, but it's also important that we look and we say, do I have a Nathan in my life? Someone who will call me out on my junk? And sometimes that person in certain areas, it's our spouse. Like, you should not have talked to the kids that way. That, that was unkind what you said or did towards your mother. That sometimes it's our spouse. Sometimes, if it's a God issue, it's a guy with another guy, or it's a woman, a best friend with another woman. But is there a Nathan? Because if there's no one telling you that last 2% in your life, chances are you've shut that person down. They've tried to come to you, they've tried to say, hey, that wasn't what you did there and you let them know that that wasn't welcome and if you recognize that you've done that to that person in your life that loved one hey own that to them and say I haven't been open to feedback but I should be and I will be and I need it in my life we've got to not only recognize and find our Nathans but we also have to become a Nathan not a Karen Okay, I'm not saying go take the head off of some poor waitress just trying to earn money for her family or, or rip some retail worker. I'm talking about a Nathan is a person of integrity who goes to someone that they have a relationship with and speaks the truth in love. And we have to become Nathans. And so we have to ask ourselves, is there some truth that I have not said to my adult children? Is there some truth that I have not said to my best friends? about her dating life? Is there some truth that I feel in my spirit that I owe it to this person as a Nathan to tell the truth? And those are the kinds of questions that after hearing this message that we should be asking ourselves, that should be wrestling with and taking time to seek God in a, about. 
So God, we love you. We come to you. We know that like David, we're not perfect, that we've sinned and made mistakes. And we come to you and we confess that we're sorry. We own it. Please forgive us. Please help us if we've shut down the Nathan in our lives. Help us to empower them again. Help us to find the truths that you're calling us to speak and to speak them when you tell us to the people that we love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, church family, we love you so much, and we will see you next Sunday morning. This is going to be amazing. Pastor Tim is going to be talking about Benaiah from the Bible. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And you can do this right now. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, that you died on the cross for my sins, and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my savior, to guide my life, and to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in your precious son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you just prayed this prayer for the first time, we would love to celebrate with you. Please text us at heaven and 94,000 to get in contact with one of our staff where we can answer any questions that you may have. Also, if you're in need of prayer, we would love to support you. You could submit your prayer requests by texting prayer support to 94,000 as well. Our prayer team will receive your request and immediately start covering you. If this was your first time experiencing Fellowship Church, or if you want to learn more about one of our many ministries, you can text Fellowship to 94,000 to connect with our staff. As always, we are still just a phone call away. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY with any questions. Thanks again. We hope to see you next week in person or online.